Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! To another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we have a full slate to talk about today. We have Moose Sissoko to talk about. We have the European Conference League, which is kind of like Moose Sissoko, but in league form. We have a transfer window to talk about, which also involves Moose Sissoko. And we have a Wofford game, which also, also involves Moose Sissoko. This is the all Musa Sissoko, all the time podcast. This is now Musa Sissoko Dealer Radio. Joining me, as always, to talk about Musa Sissoko is my, are my two lovely co-hosts. Leading us off is Brian Ashlock. Brian, what is your favorite memory of Musa Sissoko? Um, just the Jose Mourinho being explained how influential Musa Sissoko is on the team in the All or Nothing documentary, and his response just being, fuck... <laughs> You know, Mourinho was a real piece of garbage, but he did have a way of cutting straight to it sometimes. <laughs> ben Daniels coming to us live from the deep south of America. What is your favorite Musa Sissoko memory? Boy, I'd have to say Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Very important, yeah. Was it Was it all of Sunday or was it that one particular shot that he had? I mean, it was really just seeing him step out of the tunnel in somebody else's shirt was just just the best day of my life. Yeah, you kind of wish Ahsoka was a bigger dickhead because I mean, he seems like a really sort of genuinely nice guy. Wins at Uno. You know, everyone seems to like him. It's just a shame he isn't very good at football. Yeah, I wish he was a shittier person because would, I would be more vindicated in not liking him. Otherwise, I'm just like angry about this not that talented man who gave everything he had every time he stepped on the pitch and that just feels churlish if only he were more lucasy you know just like into fascism and if if, if him if if him and indombole could just switch like how excited they are to be at spurs it would solve a lot of problems for this team or would have solved a for lot my of problems heart for this certainly team. yeah so let's let's lead off. We'll get to transfer news in a bit, but uh, Spurs beat Watford in a comfortable and exhilarating one nil win. <laughs> um, I I, I want to talk about this game in comparison to sort of Jose Mourinho because that was the conversation I think that was going on around the internet. And this is just Mourinho ball. This is more of the same. I know what Ben's going to say, so let's start with you, Brian. Was this just more of the same of what we saw last season? No, uh, our defenders are at least 10 yards further up the pitch. Um, <laughs> so it is demonstrably different than what we used to do. I don't know. I mean, look, uh, the the formation is slightly different. I think the way in which the ball is being progressed is similar. And so even in a game where we had the majority of possession – um, 
we didn't do as good of chance creation um, as we have under past managers. And so I think that you can look at that and you can say, look, Watford are a really bad team and we failed to create a lot of really good chances in the way that we probably should. And then say that this is ipso facto Jose Mourinho football. And I think that that is not entirely wrong. I mean, Nuno is obviously a conservative manager and we do some conservative stuff and, you know, we're playing with, um, you know, a, a midfielder that's sitting kind of right in front of the defense and we have a fullback on the right side that's not really getting forward and we're playing very narrow and all this sort of other things. But and it's not pretty tiki taka type stuff, um, but it's not the same. I mean, we're we're engaging higher up the pitch. We're winning the ball back in midfield areas a lot more. We have a lot more players in front of the ball when we win the ball. I think the problem that we have right now is just when we win the ball and we have the players in front of the ball, what do we do? How do we progress the ball? And I think that is more of a function of personnel right now and and fitness than it is Nuno versus Jose Mourinho. And I think I think after the international break, after you know La Celso returns from the three-month quarantine that he will have to engage in following all these Argentina international matches, um, we'll start to see um, the the differences and the and the nuances or the the new nuances of the new oh. uh, system. <laughs> oh, I thought of it as I was talking. I'm like, I'm going to shoehorn this in. I think I think someone said this, and I genuinely can't remember who back when we hired Nuno, and it was like. Jose Mourinho, but with an actual plan that works. And I agree with you, Brian. I think it's a little early to judge Nuno. I think there is issues with fitness and personnel. And quite frankly, you know, he's only been here for so long and hasn't had a chance to work with all these players. So I think it would be unfair to entirely judge him on these games, even if I think we can sort of look to his time at Wolves and even earlier and sort of glean some things from that. But at the same time, even if you just accept this is kind of Nuno ball and this is what it's going to look like, I do think this was more coherent than most of what we saw from Jose Mourinho. I mean, even even though it's, you know, you could sort of simply say it's like it's three attackers versus two, like we saw last year, I, it seemed like there was more of a coherent plan. And it's worth remembering, you know, some of those Mourinho counterattacks early last year, I mean, they were impressive to watch the way they would pop the ball around, but even accounting for that, I think this was just more coherent and they sort of look like they had an idea what they were doing. I don't think it's a coincidence that we were creating, I think, some good chances in this match. I don't think it was like our one goal, which, you know, was definitely on purpose. And, um, you know, a couple, you know, random things. I think they did a good job actually creating some threatening chances in and around the box. And, I think, like, the Delhi goal in particular sticks out in my head. I, you know, Delhi in a month or two probably buries that. That's certainly the kind of goal we've seen him score before. So I think there are differences. I would, like you said, Brian, I would hope that personnel and fitness will sort of make this a little more fun to watch, a little more entertaining in the next, you know, couple months. But, uh, you know, you know, is a more conservative manager. And, 
you know, I think it's it's never going to entirely be gone from the way we play. Ben, what was your sort of takeaways from this match? Yeah, I mean, I think the way I'd put it is like it's like the evolutionary Jose Mourinho. It comes from a very similar stylistic lineage of have less of the ball, counterattack a lot, play good defense. And I, I think, you know, on those superficial levels, it's like it's obviously very, very, very similar. But like you guys have said, it's, it seems to be much more organized. You know, when Nuno was talking in this press conference about the things that we did well and things that we can improve on, like he mentioned pressing triggers as a as a facet of the tactical plan. And I cannot imagine Jose Mourinho ever uttering the words pressing triggers. Um, you know, to him, pressing just meant like, you know, run after a guy sometimes if you can. Um, you know, so there's a lot more modern football ideas married to that sort of general Jose principle. Um, so, you know, so far we've seen us win three one nil games, none of which looked like total flukes, you know, like we saw under Jose. It's been, you know, I think different Man City game looked a lot more, you know, deliberate in our one nil victory than our our Wolves victory did and our Watford victory, you know, goal aside basically set out to do what we wanted to do and like you said we had that chance that you know Delhi didn't connect on the end of Kane didn't connect to another chance you know we were creating some stuff um you know it's like at the same time though it's it's fucking Watford and everyone expects them to be firmly in a relegation fight and you would like us to see personnel issues aside fitness issues aside fixture congestion aside You'd like to see us go out there and like beat the pants off of somebody. Um, and Watford seemed like the kind of team that was a, a prime candidate for that kind of beating. It, so, you know, we'll see. It is worth considering from what we've seen, at least watching that Man United game, that that Wolves victory might be a little better than we all thought it was at the time. But who knows? It's so early in the season, we, we don't know anything really about these teams yet. I mean, I think Wolves are a good team. Even if Wolves are like the sixth, seventh best team in the league, I still would like us to do better than a lucky 1-0 victory over them. You know, especially, again, constituted as it was between the Man City game and the, and the Watford game. Um, but, yeah, you're right. We might look back at that as a, a well-earned point, and we build on it, and we're much better then, and who knows. I guess the thing that, you know... I have a problem with a lot of the, the discourse around not just this game, but but the entire first three league games of the season is is looking at them as being, you know, lucky or, or fortunate one nil um, victories. And it's just like, you know, look, we through three matches, we haven't conceded a single goal. And to be perfectly frank, we haven't even really conceded that many good chances um, Hugo has not had a lot to do this so far this year. And we're playing with Davinson and Dyer as our central defenders, who I don't think if you would have asked us in May, if we thought either that they would be the starting tandem to the season, or if we wanted them to be the starting tandem, like the answer to both those questions would have been no. Um, and, you know, you have a uh, Harry Kane, who's very, obviously not fit in the Watford match. Um, and you didn't have him in those first two games. And, you know, 
I agree with Ben. I absolutely would have liked us to put away a couple more of those chances against Watford, a couple more chances against Wolves. So especially in the Wolves match, so they didn't feel kind of a little bit like we were hanging on. But this is a team that lost so many leads last year. I mean, I think we dropped the most points from winning positions of any other team in the Premier League last season. And and this year, so far, in this three-game stretch, we've gone ahead in each match and haven't really even gotten close to six, uh, to conceding. Right, and, and I think... Go ahead, Brian, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I, I think that, you know, for having very limited amount of time to work with this team and implement whatever his plan is, because we took so fucking long to decide on a manager, um, we're, we're in good shape. Yeah, and this is unquestionably better than Jose Mourinho football. Like, yes, even though we don't have Kane and Son scoring a million goals apiece yet, um, so the bones of this side look look much stronger than they did last year. And I would never want to give anyone the impression that I didn't think that. Well, if there's anything I'm, I've been impressed by in each of the games, is like I think we've looked like the better team as each of these games has gone on. I mean, you know, you can say what you want about the City game and how that played out, but. And it strikes me is from what we, you know, if you read between the lines is, you know, Nuno's emphasizing fitness. Again, this is something that Pochettino did beginning of his tenure. And, you know, I know Nuno's sort of like rep is to kind of grind teams into dust over the course, or at least teams worse than his team over the course of 90 minutes. And, you know, I do think we, you know, teams have struggled to keep up with us as these games go on. And, you know, it's early in the season, so everyone's fitness is kind of all over the place. But I, I've been impressed by it, especially maybe it's just because we couldn't hold on to any kind of a lead last year. So just the fact that we don't look like we're, you know, barely clinging to anything in the last 10 minutes is a welcome change of pace. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, the Wolves game, we kind of barely clung on for like the middle hour. Yeah. But once we made subs and Los Celso and Kane came on, you know, the tide shifted back in our favor. Again, when Lucas came on, I think that was a positive change against Watford. You know, we had, we have a good squad. You know, we have a lot of bodies that are capable of injecting something late in the game. And so far, you know, we haven't needed to like have subs like turn the tide of a match to like win something, but it certainly kept the pressure off. And that's as I guess good as I can ask for. The total change in philosophy for Spurs, keeping the pressure off. That's. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think that will be a question that we have to ask of this team and of Nuno is is what happens now in matches where we do go by? You know, what do we do to change it up when our, our plan doesn't work? Because I think we saw, especially in the the end of Jose Mourinho, that there was no plan B. Like there wasn't, okay pull off a you know a, a holding midfielder and chuck on another attacker there was there wasn't that like it was just we keep doing this and we do the same thing until it works and so i you know i really don't know if nuno what what nuno's will do when he has to play from behind because let's be honest we're going to play from behind at points this season and right. i've not been impressed with his usage of subs or the timing of subs um, so I'm just curious to see kind of as we go forward. I mean, we've got a Chelsea match in a few weeks. Um, I'm sure there will be other matches in the, you know, we watch play Liverpool at some point that will go behind undeservingly to like fucking West Ham who are actually good this year. 
Um, but whatever. Uh, you know, like, we'll have to play from behind at some point. So what are we going to do about that? And I, I don't think we know yet. So one thing I want to talk about from this game, how much do you guys believe in Dyer and Sanchez's sort of transformation? Because it's early in the year. I know we're basically playing with a midfielder in front of them to protect them. We're not forcing them to engage in rear guard actions from right outside their own goal anymore. But even accounting for all of that, I think they've both been noticeably better this year. And Sanchez in particular, I think, I mean, this is, other than that first year where he played in a back three, I think this is, again, it's only three games, but this is the best I've seen him look. And if there is anyone I would have wanted shipped out of this team last year before we all learned about Harry Kane's opinions of Man City, uh, it was it was Eric Dyer. If there's anyone after Eric Dyer, it was Davison Sanchez. And I'm still a little more skeptical of Dyer, but I have been extremely impressed with how they've played so far. And in particular... In particular, the Man City game, um, which was the first game of the year, and City don't have their act together, but at the same time, that you know, not a lot of time for Muno to work with these guys, and I think they've been really good. Now, I'm not ready to anoint them our starters, but you know, you get Romero in there, especially for Dyer, you know, a back line of him and Sanchez. I don't know, like I feel a lot better about that than I thought I would. Like, I'm not as panicked that we didn't buy another center back as I thought I would be earlier in the. Well, I just think the only thing – sorry, Ben. Uh, no. I was just just one quick point is that they just really haven't played a good center forward yet. That's true. Um, you know, you, you, we talk about City. City had Fernand Torres up front. Um, I I couldn't tell you who Watford struggled with. Josh King. Um, and then Wolves had uh, – um, what's his name? Jimenez. Um, Jimenez, yeah, I was gonna call him Morelish, and I'm like, he's I don't a know real why. striker and a good striker. Yeah, no, but we but also he's don't. Not, yeah. He's not the same as he was pre. Or he doesn't look the same as he was pre-injury, uh, and I mean, this is that was what his second game back as a, a you know it, yeah. to quote unquote full fitness. I mean, we're gonna get tested against Chelsea when we play against Lukaku, and so what do they look like when they play against guys like that? What do they look like if they have to go up against you know Liverpool's front line? With Firmino, Salah, and Mane, what do they look like? You know, even just against you know Mikel Antonio or you know some of the other kind of um, you know just recognizable decent strikers in the league. Uh, I don't think we know, a- a- and I, I don't know. Lukaku's no, going to make a lot of defenders. Look yeah, and, and Lukaku's probably on the other end of that spectrum. Lukaku is also maybe not the. Person, best person to judge them against either. But what, what struck me about them so far, both of them, but Sanchez in particular, is they're just the mental mistakes haven't been there. Which Say what you want about City. I mean, they, I know they don't have a center forward to play off of. That definitely hurt them. They, they probably aren't a cohesive, the cohesive unit they'll be. It, it was probably a good time to play City. At the same time, they have lots of excellent players, and Sanchez is just known for these mental errors. And he wasn't making them. And I think... You know, it's only three games. I'm very impressed with how both of them have played. And, you know, it's a tricky question because we saw Sanchez and Dyer, but, I mean, they weren't just subpar under Mourinho. They were subpar under Pochettino at the end. So it's... I mean, look, we we had a lot of conversations about mental errors last year. And, like, we were the team making the most errors that led to goals. And it's like, I think we acknowledged at the time that all of those individual errors were a product of systemic failures. And a manager putting these players who are 
okay defenders, not world-class defenders, in a position to fail, where they're able to make those kinds of mistakes frequently. Um, and so far, you know, with Nuno shielding them with both Skip and Hoiberg for all three of these matches and playing, you know, in the system that he has, the opportunity for them to make individual catastrophic mistakes is is really, really minimized. Um, and so even when they do make mistakes, there's a lot of covering bodies around to keep them from, like, turning into the kind of glaring mistakes, you know, when the ball ends up in the back of the net and you go dissect it on, on film afterwards. Um, so I think that's the thing is if the, the, the formation around them and the structure of our, of our defense is going to remain this way, I'm not particularly concerned about this backline pairing. But I don't think we should be playing with Oliver Skip and Hoybeard together for every match going forward. And so the question becomes, when you remove Skip from that role and you only have Hoybeard there and then you pair him with a, you know, Los Celso or God, God help us, uh, Katangi and Dombele, um, you know, like we should be doing, how are they going to fare without that same level of protection? And that's the real question that we don't know the answer to. Um, and hopefully, you know, by the time Romero comes into the squad, we won't have to answer that question. Um, but, you know, as much as I've been not Skip's biggest fan over the over the course of the season, he is still providing a, a body covering defensively in areas that, you know, gives them a lot of help. I think that's all well said, but I do want to point out, like, these mental errors for Sanchez in particular, but Dyer as well, they, they extend past... Mourinho, like, I mean, they go back to Pochettino. It's not, I mean, Mourinho made it all worse, but it's impressive. And like you said, we'll see what happens when we play better teams and what happens when we play, um, I guess, a real center forward. But, you know, we all wanted to see a performance where Nuno Spurs whipped the shit out of someone, and we got it uh, against Pacho de Ferreira. It was, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I could take from this match other than it was fun to watch. Uh, this is kind of what I want out of the Conference League. Uh, I would like to see more youth players out there for this kind of a performance, but it was nice to just beat the, beat the pants off of someone. I mean, Kane scored two goals, but I, I thought LaCelso sort of was the star of the show here, and it makes me happy to know that Nuno would have seen that and under, would hopefully understand that he could play LaCelso and have him do these things. I don't know what to take out of this match other than Romero as a lunatic, which I'm also excited to see in the league. I mean, it's hard to point to a star of the show because so many people were. So, I mean, Brian, you were fantastic. Um, very <laughs> sorry of the season. Um, but yeah, Romero was crazy in the best way. Like he would fucking win the ball and then show up at the far post at the end of the move, <laughs> and it's just like, yes, I want this. Uh, Kane was very good. You know, um, Los Celso was good. It was, it was just a good performance. Yeah, like in the future, I'd like to see more. Uh, you know, when we get to, when we play our teams in the group stage, which is a little unfortunate because I think we, you know, not that we shouldn't qualify at our group stage, but that's a little bit of a better group stage. That's kind of like a weak Europa League stage that we got, which you know I would like to see more Dane Scarlet starts and whatever, which I think we're going to see plenty of. But uh, I'd like to see this kind of performance with more of our uh, youth players. But other than that, I've got no real complaints. It was, you know, the best thing I can say about a game like this is we had some new signings in there and. It, I think all of our big takeaways with like Brian and uh, and Romero were like, I want to see more of that. Let's see that in the league. Uh, Brian, how do you feel about having to change your alerts on Slack every time uh, Brian Heal plays a game? 
<laughs> just in any, even if he doesn't play, it's just like we should put on Brian. Like, and I was just like, you know, and and my bit about like you know them being directed at me is only funny for so long. <laughs> uh, and I think like it's kind of already at the point where that like, now I can't make that joke ever again. Um, How long so, have you been on this podcast? If you buy the jersey, <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna buy the jersey. Um, Listeners, but, tweet you know. Brian Ashlock at Brian under Brian with a Y underscore Ashlock and tell him he's a coward. But, yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> please do that. That'd be great. Um, I don't know. I, 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 look, if I have to take you know my name out of the Slack mentions because Brian Heal is amazing, then I think that's a fair trade off. Um, you know, I, I, I thought he was really good against Pacos, uh, or, or Pasus, however we're deciding to say it. Um, he did a lot of interesting things. Um, and, you know, I, I liked that he seemed to have, you know, the freedom to go out there and, and try shit, um, which definitely, you know, he wouldn't have had under, you know, the previous manager. So it's it's nice to see that Nuno is is not going to restrict, you know, some of these attacking guys from doing, you know, flare stuff and from trying to nutmeg people and from trying to, you know, just do whatever the hell they want in the attacking third, especially in games like this when, you know, we, we go up early and then now it's like, okay, now go try shit. See what you can do. Um, but he, he looks really exciting. I just don't, I, I want to see him do that against a Premier League team because I just don't have any feel for what the level of Pasus is other than worse than us. I mean, I guess the thing that I would say in Brian's defense, not you, uh, is... <laughs> You know, never defend game, you. The never. first game against Pacos, he did not look particularly good. You know, he was out there with a bunch of kids. The whole team looked pretty ragged, um, and he looked very timid. And in a side with, you know, Kane and Lucas and whoever else was playing, um, you know, he looked a lot, much, a lot more comfortable and capable than he did in that first leg. And so, you know, I think it's not just a matter of his opposition. It's a matter of his teammates. Um, you know, we've seen him play a bad team twice and look very different in both of them. And, uh, you know, the difference is playing with teammates who are on a similar wavelength and get him the ball where he needs to make runs off of him, you know, that he can make passes to and things like that. So I feel pretty confident based on, you know, 90 minutes of football that he is obviously, you know, talented. Um, and then if you put him in a, in a Premier League game with good players around him, I don't think he is going to shy away from it or or look like shit. Now, he might not be like a world beater, you know, right away. But I think I think we've seen enough in 90 minutes to say that like probably a pretty a pretty good lottery ticket young player gamble. Um you know, I don't know that Vincent Janssen ever looked that good in a game against anybody. I think um, just against the Arsenal or Bournemouth or against Jack Wilshire is about the only time he ever looked that good. Yeah, you know, like Jack Clark has never looked that good. Um, so. and I mean, I think it's interesting because we talked about this week. We spent a little bit of time, at least in our writer's room, talking about did we maybe overpay for Brian, kind of given what the market did uh, sort of at the end of this uh the transfer window and i think probably the answer to that is still going to be yes but 
if he winds up being, you know, a good player for us for five or six years, then I mean, then maybe not. But like for this season and for what the market ended up being, um, I don't know. It, it it's it feels kind of like we we could have waited on this transfer a month and got it done for ten million less. Yeah, but some uh, of that money was probably also taking the edge off Lamella's salary. Could be. It's hard to sort of differentiate them. I mean, you know, the fact of the matter is, it's not that much money, and we seems like we got a good young prospect out of You know, it's not my money, so it's, you know... It, Although I, we did lose, like, La Liga's leading scorer. <laughs> I just don't think this move prevented us from doing anything else, which is a good transition into the transfer window. We had, I think Spurs had an interesting transfer window. Uh, we brought in, just as a quick review, we brought in uh, Pierluigi Golini, uh, Romero, Brian, uh, Saar, and Emerson. Uh, and we also got rid of, I think we got rid of a fair amount of dead wood on our wage bill. Sissoko, Lamella, Aurier, Joe Hart, Toby, Juan Foyth, Gazaniga, Danny Rose, Cameron Carter-Vickers. I mean, that's a lot of stuff we got done. I don't know if this was a stellar transfer window, but, you know, they brought in a lot of really interesting talent, uh, a lot of forward-looking talent. I think this team got way younger, uh, you know, during the window, which is something we need to do for a while. Uh, Brian, which player are you most excited about um, that we brought in during this window? I, I mean, obviously it it's to... Brian Heal for obvious yeah. reasons. Other than, other than Brian Heal, I think it has to be either Romero or Saar. Um, <laughs> so you just need like all three of them. <laughs> no, I mean... I, so you're not going to pick a no. center back. That's not fun. <laughs> well, it, no, it might I, be I think, in this I case. Romero, I think Romero is, you know, he is obviously the most talented currently of all of the players that we signed and the most ready to play major Premier League minutes. And I am excited to see what that looks like because like Ben said in the in the Pacos match, like he's all over the place and it's I, I'm just very interested to see if he can get away with that shit in the Premier League. Um but I think Sar is I like Sar not because I know a great deal of things about him, but because I like the idea of that signing and, and what it represents for how the club are starting to think about things. And, and, you know, people that are a lot smarter than I am, people that watch a lot more French football than I do seem to think he's really, really talented. Um, and so, you know, if, if he's, you know, half as good as some of these guys seem to be making out, then, you know, we're going to turn a profit on him. He's going to be, you know, a decent player for us. He's going to be, it sounds like right now he would be an improvement over Winks and Sissoko. Um, but we're giving him a season to play 30, 40 matches in Liga for a, a Mets team that aren't that bad. Like, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of people saying that they're a really awful team, but, you know, they finished 10th last year after they spent most of the season in the fifth, sixth range. They just dropped like 10 of their last 11 basically to, to fall out of contention for European places. They have a good manager. They play a, you know, kind of an interesting direct style. Um, 
I don't know. I, I, I think he's exciting just for what he represents. I would have liked us to have made one more signing like that. But, you know, I, I think this window was fine. Ben, who are you most excited by that we brought in this window? Yeah, I I don't know. Are you, think, not, are you not allowed to be excited? I, I know it's very cool to be doom and gloom on the internet. Yeah, well, I'm not doom and gloom. I just feel like the transfer window was an odd one. Because, like Brian said, the only player we really signed who's like an immediate contributor to this team is... Or is a, start, a starter, I think is what you... Yeah, like he's going to go into that first 11 as soon as he is back from COVID quarantine after the internationals, you know, whatever that may be. But he's a guy for right now. And given that we decided to keep Harry Kane, I guess I was expecting us to make more of an investment in the right now. Um, I really like the Sar and Brian signings for the future. I think it's crucial that we get younger um, and kind of refresh the squad. And I think those are two great signings to do that. I just, if we're if we're keeping Kane, it still feels like we've kind of kicked the can down the road in terms of our our first team. You know, we're uh, only, I guess, sorry, I guess I forgot Emerson because that's still so new. I don't even know what he looks like, honestly. <laughs> um, but so there, there's two there's two signings for the first team, which is good, um, and also another very young signing, which is good. Um, I guess like I would have liked one more right, right now attacker to kind of fill out that front three and feel like, you know, we have a very strong 11 and right now we're still kind of like wondering on the Bergvine, Lucas, Brian, is one of them going to come good and be that player? And again, keeping Harry Kane instead of selling him for whatever was available this summer I, I feel like I would have liked us to be a little bit better right now to make the Champions League so that when we sell Harry Kane next year, um, if we do, you know, we're in a position to replace him really well and kick on. And if we keep Harry Kane another year while we're in the Champions League, we're in a position to, you know, fill out the squad and, and keep going. So in that respect, I feel like we're just kind of like caught in between two places. Um, and, and like Brian, I think another, uh, you know, another player like star when France was really there for the taking um, this summer, you know, we could have bought probably a lot of guys for very little money and kept them there on loan for a year um, as part of this, you know, we'll be good next season project. So I think the, I'm sorry, I'm just rambling at this point, but the signings we made, I'm very excited about. It's the signings we didn't make that I'm kind of wondering why we didn't. Yeah. It's, you talk about France there, Ben, and it's like, I think, you know, the only other player that I think, I mean, let's be realistic. If Camavinga's going to Madrid, that guy's just not coming to Spurs. Uh, you know, is that, that midfielder who I'm blanking on the name, I'm sorry. The midfielder went to Milan. Adley. Adley. There we go. So he was the only other name that I saw, like, really being tossed around that went. And it, as much as I feel like teams were feasting on League a little bit, like, it doesn't feel like it, ha- it happened at all to the degree that, you know, it would seem to make sense. I mean, that, that midfielder at Leon stayed there. I mean, there were a couple others who just didn't go anywhere. I, I mean, it sure seems like, and it's frustrating because I think that's the kind of thing Spurs probably did have the money for. I mean, we don't know that, but I would assume that we probably had that kind of money. Where it seems like we didn't, and I think that's what you were alluding to, Ben, is we were heavily linked with Adama. A lot of people were saying this is going to happen. 
And by all accounts, Daniel Levy saw what it was going to cost and was like, no, thank you. We are not going to do this. On some level, I, I think that's good. I mean, you know, I, I'm not sure how much I would... I mean, we talked about this last week. Like, I'd take Adama for a bargain. I'm not sure I'd pay full freight for the guy. That was, by all accounts, about 40 million euros or pounds, depending on who you read. I mean, I think he probably makes this better in the short term, even if that's a poor way to spend that money. But, you know, I think... The, the, but that's the thing about our transfer window. Like Spurs clearly had more money to spend than we thought they did. We're still not sure how much money they had to spend. I mean... A lot of this was driven by player sales or getting money off our books. But, you know, if you told me Spurs got to the end of that window and were just like, we cannot pay 40 million pounds, at least with the payment structure Wolves want for a player right now, I believe you. Like, you know, because a lot of our deals are about kicking payments down. I mean, deals in football are always about kicking some payments down the road, but it seems like we had a lot of stuff where, like, we're not going to be right. on the Right, I mean, Galea's alone, Romero's alone. You know, Brian had a lamella make weight in the situation. Yeah. Sar stayed at mess for a year. Like, you're right. There was a lot of financial shenanigans. I guess, you know, maybe I'm overreading into the Adama situation, but it sounded like we had $40 million to buy him. We just didn't want to under those terms or didn't want to for that guy. And so having not done that, I would have liked us to just try and take that pocket bucket of cash and say, what can we do with this? Even if it's get another guy and keep him in loan on loan somewhere for a year or spend 30 million on a war if that was possible. You know, I just, I would have liked to see just that one more thing. And frankly, you know, like you said, it's, it's not my money. I, if we had 40 million to spend on a diamond, we just didn't think it was the right buy. I still, as a football fan would have enjoyed having him on this team this year. And I think well, it would have it, better in the short term and, you know, you know, I whatever. I'm not mad about it. I tend to think Adam is one of those players that's always going to be better and more interesting on a mid-table team that can kind of just like play to his strengths and let him cook. But you know, it would be interesting if we could ever answer um, is Adama any good? I was surprised to read links that Liverpool were interested in him, which you know generally makes me think that this isn't just maybe Spurs being weird about a Mendez or, or well, he's not a Mendez client, but he plays on a Mendez team being weird about like Nuno's binky or something, you know, it's, it's interesting if Liverpool was also sort of looking at him. I don't know. Uh, for me, I thought the most interesting player was Emerson, who I've watched for a few years at Betis. He is a very, honestly, I, I've seen other people say this and, you know, as someone who's watched him, I had the exact same thought. He is younger than I realized he is uh, partially because he is a, he is a big boy. I mean, he is a, he is in very good shape and very tall and a very broad-shouldered young man. But he is, uh, he's is—he's been around for two and a half years in La Liga, and he's only 22. And he's been an interesting player to watch because he's kind of, this isn't an exact comparison, but he's kind of like Serge Aurier with like the extremes kind of filed off to some extent, where his attacking doesn't quite grab you in the way that, you know, because when Aurier sort of bursts forward and beats two guys and lays on a really good crowd, you know, that, it's, it, it catches your attention. And when he, like, gets skinned alive by, like, two championship players, that also catches your attention. I don't think Emerson does that on either end. I think he's a much more steady attacking fullback than Aurier. But I also think he's grown. And he played in some, frankly, shambolic Betis defenses over the years. He was much better last year under Pellegrini, uh, who was probably I mean Ruby was a defensive coach but I mean Pellegrini's probably the best coach he's had after Setien and Setien didn't really give a shit about defense so 
I think he's a really interesting signing because I think he's a he's a, a steady he's the kind of attacking fullback you trust to attack, and he's very good in the final third in terms of like creating moves and you know like showing for passes, being an outlet. I mean, he's just I think he's a really interesting player, and I think uh, we were talking to our friend. I was talking to our friend Ryan Rosenblatt about this, and he said one of the underrated things about this window is our fullback situation is kind of sorted out. And I think people underrate how good that is. I mean, think of how bad it's been in recent years. One way or another, we have two competent right backs probably this year now, and Matt Doherty. But, you know, between Tanganga and Emerson, that's a decent rotation. And then you've got um, then you've got uh, Sessegnon and, uh, and uh, Regulon on the, on the left. And ben da- so we have three fullbacks actually on each side if you count Ben Davies. So we've kind of sorted out our fullback situation, which has been a low key disaster for a couple of years now. And I think Emerson's a really interesting way to go about it. I'm, I'm very excited for him at Spurs. I think it was a really good signing. And if we couldn't get Mariba in here, which as disappointed as I am in that, you know, you're dealing with youth players like that. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get overly angry that we couldn't close that deal. I think Leipzig can offer him minutes and money that we probably can't. Um, but you know, you go to Barcelona, you take advantage of it, you walk away with Emerson, who is not a player they intended on selling. I think that's really impressive and a nice bit of business. And for only 20, I think it was 22 million euros, that's not a lot of money. Yeah. Um, And I think the other part of this is, like, we have, like, eight guys who are like a new signing, if you really want to play that game. I mean, (laughs) we have have Sessegnon coming back, who, you know, again, gives us depth at that left-back position and might be pretty good. Uh, we have Skip, obviously, back from the championship, which is a big deal. We have Los Celso, who we haven't really seen um, for, like, a year. We have Delhi, who we haven't seen for, like, a year. Uh, you know, we have maybe a version of Bergvine that we all hoped was coming to us when we signed him, like, two years ago and haven't seen. Um, but he's already, like, getting shots and, and contributing. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, Davinson and Dyer being useful center backs really obviates the need to sign a whole new center back core. Um, so there's and a lot Dom of growth still there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't even want to say his name for fear of jinxing it, but you know, like if you, if you take into account like the, the, that growth of our existing players who we didn't really get a lot out of last season, um, you know, we might already be a pretty good team with just a few holes plugged and you know, again, you're hoping on a lot of players coming good who haven't yet. Um, But you know, there's a reason we signed these guys in the first place. There's a reason we've relied on these guys in the past. And you know, if Nuno can just undo the damage Jose wrought on so many of their psyches, um, you know, that's, that's, that's a big deal for, for how good we could be. Well, Ben, if you really want to take the, like a new player to his logical conclusion, Delhi's also in the best shape of his life. So, you know, that never goes wrong for a player. <laughs> and I mean, we, we held on to Harry Kane, you know, when we all kind of thought we were going to lose him. And, uh, I, I agree that I, I would have really liked us to have sorted out a backup or, uh, you know, some other striking option in this window. I that's kind of the thing that separates this for me from being a like a great window or you know a, a, an A plus type window, uh, 
is just the failure to get a real good either either backup striker or young striker that we we could have used to to complement what we have. Um, but we still have Kane, and you know if he if he gets back to fitness, um, he's still the best, probably the best striker in the Premier League, and uh, you know that that can take us a long way. Yeah, I mean we've we've seen in the past what we can do with that. We've also seen you know how we can waste that. Um, but I, I feel fairly confident that that this year we're set up to take advantage of good seasons from Kane and Son. It's it, uh, for me. I think the thing that I like most about the window, and I think we sort of alluded to this, is just we're buying high-end lottery tickets again, and it feels like a while since we maybe we never actually done that, but like we're taking chances on players we expect to grow, and it just it just feels like so long. I know we got Regulon like two years ago or whatever the hell that was, but last year, last year, well, last year. <laughs> all right, well, time has no meaning, so I think I could be forgiven for that one. But you know, it just doesn't. It, feels like something we haven't taken seriously and getting guys like SAR and I know Brian was more expensive than just a lottery ticket, but you know, it just feels good that we're taking this approach. I mean, Son and Hugo are the oldest players on this team. Now, if you think about it, it's there's, we really got this squad a lot younger, this window and sort of setting us up for some sort of sustained success, hopefully. So I'm really pleased to see that. And especially when you consider a lot of us were really worried that like Paratici was going to be wrapped in some weird Mendez grifting scheme. Maybe that's going to happen eventually. It didn't happen this window. Well, I think the thing that's most encouraging for me about the window is just like the identification of, of targets and, and players to fulfill the needs that we had. Um, you know, when we were talking about getting rid of Kane, we identified Lautaro as the player that would replace him. And I was like, all right, yeah, that's, that's the guy you would want. And, you know, when we were talking about, you know, midfield signings you're looking at players like awar you're looking at um you know sar and 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 these sorts of guys and you know it it felt like for a long time we were just looking at players that were linked with liverpool and that liverpool didn't actually sign and then that was who we kind of turned to and you know that kind of turned a little bit with like lacelso and indombele where it felt like we actually had gotten two really good players um but it also felt like look these weren't hidden gems everybody knew that these two guys were pretty good and we got to them first um but with like with brian and with sar not that they're like hidden out of nowhere things but it's just like this is what like a team like spurs has to bank on like we don't have the money to afford you know uh, to buy Romelu Lukaku back, you know, and, and we don't have the, the money to do that every window, like some clubs, like, you know, United bought Sancho this window, they're going to buy uh, Holland the next window, in you know, and so on and so forth. We we can do that one window, but we can't do that every year. And, and this felt like an actual time where we targeted well and took advantage of stuff in the market. We took advantage of Barcelona being broke. And we took a good right back from them. You know, we we almost got like a promising midfield prospect from them. We did land a good midfield prospect from France. Like, you know, we landed Brian. Like, you know, we were doing things to take advantage of our position and the position of the world of football around us. And I haven't felt like we've been doing that for years. 
Yeah, and you know, it's a good mix between, like you said, identifying Lotaro because you need a guy of that caliber when you're replacing Kane. We got Romero, which is the kind of signing you need to, you know, kind of reinvent your center back line after, you know, not replacing Jan and Toby effectively. And then elsewhere, we were getting those sort of pre-breakout figures like Brian and Saar. And so, yeah, that's definitely, like, definitely a big step. And I think for me, just sort of emotionally, it's after last season when, you know, our signings were like Doherty and Joe Hart and, you know, the return of Gareth Bale, it's nice to feel like we are looking towards a future again. And we are building, you know, a project, so to speak. And we're not just sort of doubling down and doubling down um, on this increasingly decrepit squad and hoping we can squeeze out one more season out of them. You know, we're finally back to that position where we seem to be building towards a future. And it hasn't felt like uh, there has been a future, honestly, under the Jose Mourinho era. Um and uh, yeah, I, that's it's just it's just hope, I guess, well, is is a really nice feeling. And especially looking at the future, it's it's nice to get players you can invest again, invest in again. Like I think I can already tell this podcast is going to be a, a big Brian Heel partisan podcast. I, I, you know, I was watching the the, the Senegal game in the in a African World Cup qualifying today because Sar was in it. You know, it's. It's it's nice to just get excited about these guys. And even a guy like Hoybier, who I think was a good signing and it seems likable and a good servant of the club, like, you know, it's it's a little harder to get invested in some guys who have been around the block a little bit more. It's nice to feel like you're getting on the ground floor with someone like like Brian, like Sar. It's it, it you know, it's a little thing. As much as we love our homegrown guys, it's nice to bring in these sort of exotic players from far flung lands who are now part of our team. It's fun to get invested in them and sort of, you know, learn about them and through them, like, oh, this is how the Senegal team plays or this is what the Spanish youth setup looks like or whatever. Yeah. I did not watch the Senegal match, but, yeah, I sympathize. <laughs> I, my, my work day only got awful in the afternoon. It was it was nice and free in the morning, so. I mean, I'll definitely watch a Mets game or two this year. I mean, definitely when they play PSG. I'll, Love the Mets. Know. Go Mets. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So we we there are a lot of dearly departed players this year. I, we talked about Sissoko. Uh, it was very nice to see Danny Rose get a bit of a laugh of honor uh, at the Watford game. It's a shame he didn't get to play. But you know, Danny Rose is the kind of guy I actually hope hangs around this club. I mean, he taught he he showed up at an under twenty threes game because he hung out with them all year last year. I really do hope. I I know. I feel like it is a very cliched thing to say. We hope ex-pros and legends become coaches at our team. Uh, I, I know a lot of Spurs fans said that, ha, have and continue to say that about Ledley King, but I really do hope Danny Rose is involved with the club in a you know very real capacity. Because it was, if only because it was just heartwarming to see him, like his interactions with the under-23s, and he went out of his way to go to one of their matches this year. It's It was really nice to see him. And I, Danny Rose might be low-key one of my favorite Spurs players ever. It's, it was really nice to see him back at Whitehead. Well, new White Hart Lane, whatever we're calling it. Yeah, I mean, especially given how, like, ignominiously his time at Spurs ended and how, you know, kind of crappily Daniel Levy treated him on the way out. Um, 
for him to still have enough affection, at least for those players, to want to come back and support them, whatever, it just speaks to the kind of person Danny Rose is, and hopefully the affection he has for this club. And, you know, if he doesn't have that affection and chooses to, you know, go back to Leeds or something when his time is up, I won't begrudge him that, um, because I really, I, I don't think for as long a serpent as he was, um, we really handled his his decline as well as we could have. But, um, yeah, I love Danny Rose, and I hope nothing but the best for him, and I hope he stays a part of our first lives. Him, him and Michael Dawson and Lively King all just hanging out in the in the brewery at, at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. That's, that's what we need. Just do a web series, guys. That's all I want. Yeah. Any other, anyone, any parting shots at any of our fellow, any of our fellow dearly departed? Does anyone want to say something about Joe Hart? I mean, already, already pissing off Celtic fans. I I think Nuno like really kind of gave it to Joe Hart. What was his text message to him? Like, you'll never kick another ball for Spurs again. Like, I was just like, all right, great, great. Um, I'll do that for Harry Winks. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to miss, um, I mean, Lamella, I think Lamella goes without saying. Yeah, I mean, we did a whole show almost about that. Um, so I, I'm i going to miss, I think, Ben complaining about Musa Sissoko <laughs> more than I miss actual Musa Sissoko. Um, but, like, yeah, I, 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 I can't say that other than Danny Rose and Eric Lamella, I have a particular affection for anybody else that left. Like, I guess, like, I would have liked to see if Dennis... Shurkin or Sirkin was, you know, good enough to be a, you know, an Adam Smith level fullback. Um, but, you know, we let him go to, you know, Sunderland, right? League one. So well, we, have maybe will be an we have a buyback clause. So, um, but other than that, you know, yeah, I'm not too, uh, I'm not too bent out of shape about anybody that we lost. One last thing I, I sort of want to talk about with the departure is like Aurier's departure from Spurs, I think was very fitting. And it, that guy just had a weird time here. Like he was never awful, but he was never great. And it was like every time you wanted him just out of the team for footballing reasons, because he did some other stuff that you might not want him in the team for. But every time you would think he played his way out of the team, he would just go on a run of great games that like solidified his place in the team. And as soon as you were willing to be like, okay, he's turned a corner, you know, he would like kick the ball into his own net. It was, it was a very strange career for Aurier at Spurs. He never seemed very happy here. And it was just very up and down. It was a, it was a very strange, you know, and, and that he was sort of the first new blood in when the Pochettino team hit its peak, I think. I mean, there's probably something poetic about that, about how he adapted to life here as we sort of failed to turn over our squad. And, I mean, you know, he had a difficult time here because I believe, what, the first six months he was here, his brother was was killed in, in Paris. And, uh, you know, like, he, he, despite us having, you know, a decent contingent of French players and, you know, other people, you know, like Lucas, who we'd played with at the PSG, uh you know, I, I don't know that he necessarily adapted great, at least initially. Um, I don't know. I, I I think we got exactly what I expected out of Aurier when we signed him. I, I mean, that this was the player that he was at PSG, uh, you know, and it's the player that he'll be wherever he goes now. 
the ending is very weird, but like I, only weird because I think his agents kind of won out over Daniel Levy, which I don't think really happens all that often. Like the, the getting the club to release him as opposed to taking a fee. And then now the agents will get, you know, they got their portion of that buyout. They get their portion of whatever signing on fee he gets at the new club. And like, uh, it's, it's interesting that that was how Levy admitted defeat on the four right back situation by just outright releasing one of them and actually releasing the one that probably could have actually been the most useful. Uh, you know, if, you know, if Emerson were to go down and Tanganga were to have issues, like we should have released Doherty. Yeah, I mean, the fact is, is like, Aurier had a very good season last year. Um, he, Jose really did get him to cut out a lot of his boneheaded mistakes. He wasn't giving away penalties all the time. He wasn't making dumb challenges outside the box. He wasn't doing the kinds of things we we kind of knew him for. Um, I mean, he had a much better season than Regulon, who everybody loves, um, if we're being honest with ourselves. But, you know, yeah, I think you have all said it. <laughs> I think it's time to wrap. He, he left as he came in, in a weird cloud of suspicion. And, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he ends up at a real club or, you know, playing with Javi and Qatar or whatever. But we'll see. Uh, on that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Uh, we'll be back next week with some interesting stuff uh, for the international break. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes because we deserve it and we've been good boys. Follow us on our Twitter feed, at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Deal Radio. And, um, yeah, Ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Comrade Uspers. And, Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter, at Brian, with a Y. I don't even remember the rest of my Twitter handle. Because <laughs> Brian, Brian underscore, underscore that's Brian with a Y. It's Brian underscore heel. Brian underscore yeah, heel. Not it. Brian underscore heel. Brian underscore Ashlock. That's Brian with a Y. And you can find me on Twitter.com at Skipjack0079. That's Skipjack0079. Uh, for Ben, for Brian, for the other Brian, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>